I'm Scott. And I'm Melissa. And we're the Sunshine Travelers. Our passion is travel and sharing our experiences with those who enjoy it as much as we do, or those who want to learn more about travel, or even those that just want to live vicariously through our travel stories. No matter where you fall along that journey, get ready to hear about our firsthand experiences as we visit some of the most amazing places on earth. On today's episode, we want to share with you a trip from 2019 that turned out to be a bucket list trip, even though we had not previously had it on our list. We're going to cover quite a large chunk of the Mediterranean and picturesque towns across Southern Europe. Grab your passport, pack a bag, and let's get started. In 2019, we had a situation where I was changing jobs And one of the requirements that I had laid out for the new employer, uh, which happens to be my current employer, is I wanted to have a bit of time off between ending my last job and starting the new one. And so it turned out that I had about three months that we could work with. And uh, in that, we talked about going on a trip and making it be very memorable. This also happened to coincide with our 25th wedding anniversary, so we wanted to do something that was really spectacular and would, you know, add to our memory banks for, you know, all time come of great trips that we had taken. Yes, and one of the things I want to point out, too, is that while we obviously have taken vacations for years with the job that you have done for so many years, you would take vacations, but you always had to check your email and check in and and things like that. So it had been how many years, would you say, when you had had a vacation where you could truly completely unplug? Yeah, well, it had been about 14 years since I'd unplugged fully. Even when we went on vacation, I would, you know, check emails, I would take calls and meetings, and then just the nature of my job sometimes uh, would have to be involved in uh, different incidents and things like that. So uh, yeah, about 14 years. And so we planned this very last minute. We were going to leave for this in June-ish time frame. And I think it was probably late April, so maybe six weeks, six to eight weeks, maybe before. We also had something else that had come up. A friend of ours that lives outside of London was getting married, and she had invited us to come to the wedding. And of course, we said, yes, we'll be there. So we knew we had a date where we needed to be kind of finished with the uh, travel and end up in London. And, And most of that was mainly because we didn't want to take dress clothes with us throughout our journey because in this particular case, we were going to try to just carry a backpack uh, through the first part of our journey. Right. And we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But we also had a couple of things that prevented us from leaving earlier. Well, you were going to finish working, so you obviously couldn't leave until a certain date. Um, Our son was graduating from high school, so we obviously wanted to be here to see him graduate. And then we also sold our house and bought a new house. So we moved at the same time. So if you want to have an experience where you do all the life changes at one time, there you go. (laughs) And we are notorious for that. So that gave us about five weeks between the time of doing that and our friend's wedding to travel around Europe. 
Yeah, and the Mediterranean was an area of interest, um, especially Greece, because Melissa had been there before while I was working in the UK. Uh, I was over there for several weeks, and she and our daughter went on a trip with her sister, and they went to uh, Greece. You know, they just always talked about how wonderful that trip was and how much fun they had and how beautiful it was and, you know, stories of they would go to a restaurant and the they literally would go down to the boat, get the fish from the fishermen and then bring it back up and, and cook it for them. And so, uh, you know, Greece was one of those places that was on our list. I, I don't know that we had it on our bucket list necessary, but it was definitely on our travel list. And it was also going to be summertime. And so you think about going to the beach as well, going on holiday. And and so that probably prompted having a tropical, more a tropical location and a beach location. Yeah. And that really helped with the packing. So, you know, you didn't have to dress for cooler temperatures and things like that. We could take bathing suits and light tropical clothes. And so um, it really helped us to achieve that goal of just putting everything into a backpack that we could easily move from one lake location to another because that was going to be the theme of this trip we were going to be moving around a lot we were and but we decided to look at a mediterranean cruise at the very beginning of the trip that would allow us to visit a large number of countries and see some spectacular sites and also rest up because we had just moved and so this was literally starting 10 days after that. So we were pretty tired. And so a cruise gave us a chance to do that. And so we're also going to do an episode soon on the whole cruise portion, because there's a whole lot of things to unpack just about that. And I'll admit, I was a little reluctant at first to do a cruise in the Mediterranean, because as Scott has mentioned on other episodes, we really like to be a part of the location and a part of the culture and eat at local restaurants and just experience the nightlife. But in the end, we really loved the experience. It gave us a chance to see so many new places and still rest in the evenings. And now we know some of the places that we would like to return to and stay a little bit longer. Like Melissa said, it kind of gives you a good overview. And I (laughs) maybe it's not quite the same, but in the London episode, we talked about using the hop-on, hop-off bus to kind of get your lay of the land and get your bearings of how everything is set up. And so just think of this cruise as your hop on, hop off of the Mediterranean. Yeah, that's definitely true. And so I'd also like to point out, because I imagine that you're sitting here listening to this and thinking five weeks in Europe, like this must going to be costing a fortune. But the cruise portion was an absolute steal because we booked it just a few weeks out It allowed us to take advantage of a last-minute fare that I found. It was a veranda stateroom, and it was only $3,000 for both of us for a 12-day cruise on Holland, America, and it was fantastic. The itinerary included in Spain, we went to Cartagena, Granada, and we went to the Alhambra, Malaga, and from there we took a day trip to Sevilla. We spent two days in Barcelona. We got to go to Gibraltar. We got to go in France. We got to go to Nice and Marseille. We also went to Monaco. It ported in Laverno in Italy. And so from there, you could go to Pisa or Tuscany or Florence for the day. And the cruise left and returned from Rome, Italy. So Scott, talk about some of the things we did when we were in Rome. 
Ooh, I'm already exhausted just listening to that list of all the places we went to. Um, but absolutely, it was it was so relaxing being on that cruise, and you know, and then we when we got off of the cruise and we're in Rome. You know, when you're in Rome, there are so many things from a historical perspective uh, that you're going to want to go and see. Uh, once again, if you're a photographer, make sure that your camera is one of the things that goes into that backpack. Um, but we went to the Roman Colosseum. We went down the Appian Way. Um, if you don't know what the Appian Way is, I mean, that dates back in the Bible to uh, Paul. And Paul famously walked the Appian Way. And so we walked in some of the same footsteps that Paul traveled we probably got outside of his footsteps a little bit. Uh, there was one place where we went down this little path and followed it along, and we got to the end of it, and it was a gate, um, and that gate was locked, but there were some little call boxes on there, and so we just started pushing uh, the buttons on the call box until someone answered. Obviously, they didn't speak English, so I think I ended up using Google Translate to try to explain what had happened, and they finally pushed the little button and let us through. So a fun experience there. Yeah, fun experience. Never be afraid to just kind of get lost in some of these places. But we also went to the Roman Forum. We went to the Vatican and St. Peter's Basilica. We went to the Trevi Fountain, um, the Pantheon, the Spanish Steps, and also one of the neatest things that we did is went down into the catacombs. And that's how we ended up. They were near where the Appian Way was. So that was how we ended up there. And we had a little tour there. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I guess similar to what I was talking about in Argentina uh, with the cemetery in Argentina, you know, this was an exa another example of where we went to a, a burial site. But, you know, so amazing to just see a part of that history. And uh, we just happened to time it correctly where we could get a tour uh, that was given in English and so uh, really neat to um, go through and see those catacombs. Yeah and we should point out that this is where a lot of Christian martyrs were buried at that time so just so much um, history and biblical history there's actually several of them throughout Rome and so we can link in the show notes to a few of the sites the one that we went to and a few of the other ones. So then we picked a few locations in Italy that we wanted to spend some extra time in after we left Rome. So we took the train down to Naples and then on to Pompeii. So we spent an afternoon in Pompeii. Definitely recommend going in the afternoon. We just got lucky. It just timed with ours, but it started to clear out. I imagine it's very crowded and a lot of people in the morning. Um, so it started to cool off and we kind of had it to ourselves in the afternoon. Yeah, but when you say cool off, it didn't cool off that much. True, but I'm sure it was it was cooler. So, but having it to ourselves was a, a nice treat. Yeah, it was probably cooler than it was for the people who lived in Pompeii at that time. Absolutely. So we, I also would like to point out is that we had planned most everything for this trip, um, but there were a few little details like a few car rentals um, when we get to the Greece portion, but we also hadn't super planned out what we were going to do on the Amalfi Coast. 
And so we ended up talking to the people at the hotel and we hired a driver for the day. It's just not super convenient to ride the buses in a short amount of time. And if we had to do it over again, we probably would have stayed in Sorrento or somewhere closer. So the hotel arranged a driver who actually took us for a whole day, stopped at some of the towns, told us where we could get lunch and just waited for us. And so that was a nice way to be able to just have one day on the Amalfi Coast and was actually less expensive than we would have imagined. Take whatever sedative that you need before going on that trip uh, through those roads at the Amalfi Coast. Our driver picked us up in a little black Mercedes uh, sedan and, you know, very nice driver, nice car, and as we got into some of those towns like Positano and stuff like that, all of a sudden the roads get super small, super narrow, lots of turnbacks, and they still have full-size buses on them. Yes, that would couldn't fit on the road, couldn't fit on the tunnel, and then the traffic would just stop, and then they'd have to back up, and we asked him, how often does it happen? Oh, Every day, lots of times a day, all the time. But of course, it's just their way of life. Yep. So our driver would often get out. He would go and direct traffic, get cars to move around so that the buses could end up making the turns and then uh, get back in the car and we would carry on our journey. And so that's why you also don't really want to drive on the Amalfi Coast yeah. either. I do not recommend that you rent a car and drive. And I'm one of those people, I'll drive all over the world. Um, I've driven in London many times on the wrong side of the car, manual transmission, wrong side of the road. Um, and I'm okay with that, but, uh, I don't know that I would try to drive there on the Amalfi coast. And the other thing about that too, is you want to be able to see the spectacular, the vistas and the viewpoints and stuff too. You don't want to have one person in your party missing the whole thing because of they're the ones driving. And I was telling Melissa earlier today, I said, I read somewhere that in Positano, they've actually outlawed selfies. And you said that's because people were clogging up the roads. They'd like stop. And yeah, because I mean, there would be like these little bitty pull offs. And thankfully, he would kind of stop and let us out and let us do some of those things where he knew it was safe. So I imagine that's definitely a problem, especially in high tourist seasons. Yeah, I also think that one of the most spectacular views we couldn't get from being inside those cities. I've got to imagine the views from the ocean uh, and, and being in a boat or something like that would be just absolutely phenomenal. Yes, and I would say that the Amalfi Coast is probably somewhere that we would, if time allows, return to and stay and do a, a boat trip or a day of sailing or something like that. So. But then we also talked about that, like Cinque Terre, right? It's a very similar, if you will, type town, maybe not quite as touristy as the Amalfi Coast. And so, you know, if you're looking to make some trade-offs, um, it probably is less expensive to stay there than on the Amalfi Coast. Yes, and you have five towns connected by a train, so a little bit easier to, or walk between one or the other. So yes, but, that's probably higher on our list. You know, it is one of those things. Everybody talks about the Amalfi Coast, so um, put it on your list and 
go and do it. So then we flew from Naples to Santorini, and we stayed in a cave house on the island of Santorini. Yeah, and while in Santorini, one of the things that you want to do is go over into the city and see the spectacular sunsets. I think that's one of the things that, besides the cave houses that are built into the side of the hill, um, one of the you know biggest draws of, of attraction for Santorini is actually the, the sunsets there. Yes, and one of our upcoming episodes, we're going to talk with a friend of ours about her stay on Santorini and a very special activity that she did there. So we wanted to go to Santorini to see it, um, but it is definitely more of a tourist island in Greece and more expensive. So from there, we took a ferry to some of the minor islands that are part of the Greek Cyclades. Now, our adventure here was we woke up during the night in our cave house to all this loud banging and what is going on. Well, they have a wind phenomenon there that had started to occur. And so when we got up the next morning, everything is blown around and the wind is blowing, the sand is blowing. And so we asked the host that owned our little cave house, well, are the ferries going to run? And she was like, well, of course. Well, now living at the beach, we know that high winds equal high surfs. (laughs) So let's just say it was a very rocky ride from Santorini over to the island of Milos. Yeah. We we made it. We put our headphones in. We turned music up as loud as possible to kind of distract us and keep us focused. Not everybody around us was faring as well as we were, but when they started cooking, uh, that was it. I was done. <laughs> so we chose some islands like Milos, Sifnos, Peros. We also went over to Annie Paris, where Tom Hanks has a house, in order to experience places that a lot of American tourists don't really go. Um, most people go to Santorini and Mykonos, and a lot of the larger cruise ships go there. So we wanted to just have an opportunity to go places where, as we found out, a lot of Europeans would have their holiday, or even a lot of um, local Greeks would vacation there. And there was a few times where we felt like we might have been the only uh, Americans on the island. Now, that wasn't a bad thing. Um, Everybody was very friendly and helpful. Um, Not very many people in some of these areas spoke a lot of English, but they would definitely do their best to try to help you out. So, you know, the use of hands come in to to play there when you're, you're talking you know, you speak louder and you wave your hands a lot more when you don't speak the local language. But it was definitely enough to get by. And um, so we'll also do a, an episode about um, diving into more of these islands as well. What we loved about them, what we would recommend, what we wouldn't recommend, what we recommend that you would plan ahead to do and where to stay and some things like that. So we can do a whole episode on that as well. So at the end of our time on the Greek islands, we flew from Paros back to, well, not back to, but we flew from Paros to Athens, Greece. And in Athens, we stayed at an Airbnb. 
in downtown, which was really nice because it was more like an apartment. We had like an efficiency kitchen, a living room. I mean, it was small, but we had a little bit more room for the same rate as a hotel downtown. It was in a great location because we were able to walk to a lot of, um, you know, places to go grab great food or, um, you know, I forget which one of the attractions was right by there, but, you know, it was a good walking place for us and um, you felt safe. In Athens, we went to the Acropolis. We saw the Parthenon. We went to Mars Hill where the Apostle Paul preached. We also visited the Acropolis Museum where the original Parthenon frieze marbles, the ones not in the British Museum, are located. And um, we also had to visit the son of the sandal maker that made sandals for Jack and Jackie Kennedy Onassis, Sophia Loren, the Beatles, just to name a few, and to have our own custom sandals made. And that was close by and within walking distance from the hotel, too. So I will say I did pick up a bag at this point. Um, I picked up a, uh, a, a laptop bag that was made by the um, poet sandal maker and uh, just couldn't pass that by. It's something I still have today. So by this time, we were approaching the end of our European tour and we needed to make our way to London for the wedding. And so Scott mentioned about picking up a bag. So for this whole first part of this trip, we both took uh, an e-bag backpack. And I'm going to link that in the show notes because we absolutely love this backpack. I think if I had to buy it again, I would get one with wheels. But we have used this backpack. I took it to the Galapagos. I take it on weekend trips. We absolutely love this backpack. And so... the Can re- I say something real quick? Yes. I was at the airport uh, traveling to Ohio uh, this week. In, or maybe it was on one of our other trips. But anyhow, I was at the airport and there was a guy in front of me that had his e-bag. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that we had done a... Uh, six-week trip to Europe, and that's all that we took was that e-bag. And he he said, yeah. He said, I can put a couple of weeks' worth of stuff in here, and I'm good. It's kind of interesting and, and a great testament to e-bags um, about these products. I did look for the one for one to see if I could find one that has wheels, and there's not one that's uh, similar in size to what we have. That, that has wills. So we'll have to hold out on that one. Maybe we can make a suggestion to them. I don't know. Maybe it makes it too heavy. Yeah, that's true. And so the reason that we did this was because we were flying into from Atlanta into London and we needed to make a connection. Sounds familiar from our other trip, but we need to make a connection and didn't want to go out to get that bag to have to check it back in. Um, We also didn't want to, I mean, it was everything that we were going to have, so we didn't want to lose that. So then we needed to get to the hotel in Rome. Then we had to get to the cruise ship. And then we had to take the train. Yeah, we had to take the train to Naples and another plane and et cetera, et cetera. And so we really just wanted to be able to have a light load. And when you are at a beach destination or the cruise, we could have bathing suits a lot and rewear clothes a lot. We are were actually able to wash clothes once um, on the cruise. 
they washed the clothes for us. And then once when we were in Greece, we had the clothes washed at like a wash and fold place um, where they washed them and dry them and we didn't have to stay at a laundromat all day. And um, so we washed a couple of times. And so if you want to see our packing list for this trip, I'm going to put a link to the show notes with all those um, just the things that we took. And we just had to be pretty minimal, but it worked out great. And we'll cover some of those at the end of the episode as well. So this meant, though, that to go to the wedding, we had to buy our rent clothes for the wedding once yeah. we got back to London. Yeah, and, you know, we we had the the idea that maybe we would just go look for, like, a tuxedo shop or something like that where we could, you know, I could rent a, a suit or a tuxedo for the wedding. Um, maybe Melissa would be able to find a dress. But then as we got closer um, to the time, I think the idea really was just kind of, hey, let's get something that, you know, we can just buy and we'll, we'll wear it for the wedding, but then we can take it back uh, home with us afterwards. And so we went to the little town of Reading, uh, which is outside of London, near where um, the wedding was going to be. We found a couple of shops. Melissa went in and... You know, I think at first we started to panic, like, are we going to actually be able to find something, you know, at this time of the year and um, that we're going to want to wear? And it just so happened that Melissa found the perfect uh, sundress. And then um, we were walking down the street and she found this shop that made fascinators and they were able to match perfectly the color of her green dress to that fascinator and she was so happy to have a fascinator that was a once in a lifetime I think for me but just so fun to be able to wear a fascinator to a wedding yeah and so I, I was able to go into I think a Marks and Spencer or something like that I found a suit and then the only thing that I needed to to find uh, was a pair of shoes because um, I really didn't feel like showing up in my flip-flops uh, for their wedding but no problem. Um, on the way to the wedding, uh, found a, a store and ran in, bought a pair of shoes, realized that I didn't have a belt, so I grabbed a belt, and um, now we're set. We're ready for the wedding. I did get to wear the sandals I had made at the Poet Sandal Maker in Athens, though, with my dress. So that was exciting and fun. So after the wedding and spending a few days with our friends, we left the wedding and spent some time in Bath and in the Cotswolds before we returned home. And what we didn't realize is that the whole trip would end up having a, a kind of a theme, which was overview of the Roman Empire ruins, just because the Roman Empire stretched so far throughout Europe. And eventually we ended up being like, look, oh, more Roman ruins, starting in the town of Cartagena, Spain. Like they've recently found these ruins and they have all these museums and sites that you can see. And then, of course, culminating with the Roman baths in the town of Bath in the UK. And then we saw them in, of course, in Rome, but in Tuscany, like these old amphitheaters that they have kind of uncovered as well. Yeah. And, you know, I would say if you live in Europe, uh, especially Southern Europe, don't go out digging because you're likely to find Roman ruins somewhere. 
Yes, you probably are. (laughs) So, you know, I'm always about traveling economically so that I can travel more. So in addition to that cruise deal, we had used Sky Miles for the flights on Delta from Atlanta to London. And then we bought local flights on local and smaller airlines. So those other flights we had to buy were from London to Rome, then from Naples to Santorini, from Milos to Athens, and then from Athens back to London. And then the rest of the trip was... Um, either trains or ferries between the different islands or towns. And so traveling by air in Europe can be inexpensive, but you do have to watch the carry-on and check back fees. And so that was just another reason that we had wanted to keep with that one bag until we absolutely needed to purchase a suitcase before leaving the UK to get the extra wedding clothes back. Yeah. And one thing I would say is that in the U.S., what constitutes a carry-on um, that won't necessarily fly uh, throughout Europe. So uh, there, when if you're looking at luggage, and especially for an upcoming trip, and you want to be able to carry that luggage on the plane, you need to be looking for an international carry-on. It's much smaller um, than the carry-on sizes that you may be able to carry uh, continentally here in the U.S., and the airlines are very particular about the size of those bags and the weight. So as we do with any show that is about a particular location, um, we come back to Melissa and we say, what are the things that should be a part of your packing list? So for this particular trip, I packed a couple of bathing suits and a bathing suit cover-up, but there was something that could be worn as a dress. And then I had a few lightweight V-neck like t-shirts, one pair of leggings and one pair of like black athletic shorts. Um, I did a couple of like sweaters, uh, cover up sweaters. We mentioned in the episode to keto, like if you're going in churches, you're going to need that kind of thing. I took a couple of other sundresses. We didn't carry any jeans. Like they're just too heavyweight. If they get wet or dirty, it's just too much trouble to deal with those. Um, I took only a couple of pairs of shoes. So one pair of tennis shoes. And then I took a pair of Birkenstock thong sandals because you're able to walk well in those but then you can also wear them to the beach and then you can make them look dressy and then beyond that it was really just my toiletries and that's about it yeah and I would say it all depends on the location where you're going to because most of these destinations that we went to were beach related Um, that makes it a whole lot easier because bathing suits take up far less Uh, room inside your suitcase than other kinds of clothing. And you can wear those bathing suits multiple times. Yeah. So again, we'll put a link to the packing list in more detail in the show notes and things that we would definitely recommend. But I would also say take your camera, right? Uh, You know, that's important to me. But in this particular trip, there are so many picturesque locations that you're going to want to have that camera to, to capture that. And, you know, those those pictures that you take, they're going to be a part of your memories for a really long time. Yes, absolutely. So camera gear is a must. We hope you enjoyed today's episode as we briefly covered the long tour across southern Europe and Mediterranean. 
As always, our goal is to share our stories and experiences with the hope that it will inspire your travel goals and maybe add something to your travel bucket list. Please follow our podcast and share it with your friends. You never know, they may become your greatest travel companion.